Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we can gather together as your people this Lenten season and walk the journey of the cross. And I pray that for each and every one of us gathered here today, it would be a great reboot of a walk with you to know you, to grow in you, and to serve you like never before, so that you would awaken in us a, a new refreshness of, of a walk with you, Lord. Take our minds now and think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, welcome to Lent, brothers and sisters. It's great to be together with you here today. This series we've entitled Journey to the Cross because that's exactly what the lectionary does. And when you look at the first Sunday of Lent, I think it's very intentional that we hear the temptations through Genesis 2, Paul talking about it in Romans 5, and our Lord's direct dealing with the temptations in Matthew 4. Because as we take our relationship with the Lord more seriously, the enemy takes us more seriously. He doesn't have to worry about those, Lewis says in the screw tape letters, who really want to believe on their standards. But when we take the Lord seriously and we want to grow in him and know him, we have an enemy. Yes, we have the world in our own flesh, but today we talk about the tempter. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles as we are seeking this season to go deeper in our walk with the Lord than ever before. This is spiritual war. We're in it in the kingdom of God. Paul writes about it in Ephesians 6, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in, in the heavenly places. It's not always merely our lust and our greed. There's a spiritual battle that we're involved with. After all, have you ever thought about why the greatest intelligent, highly educated culture in the world in the mid-20th century committed the greatest atrocities ever recorded? Because there was something more going on there. It was a spiritual battle. Bonhoeffer knew it. And so, my friends, looking at these passages here today, particularly zeroing in in Matthew's gospel, we're going to recognize that we do have an enemy who's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking our destruction. And so what we learn in Jesus' confrontation with the enemy, we learn the nature of temptation. We learn very practically how we can confront temptation and why that matters for us. Let's look at the passages. You can find it in the back of your bulletin, Matthew chapter 4, or in your Bibles. First, the nature of temptation. Well, what is temptation? I thought of, of different definitions that, you know, we've talked about this before, but think of temptation as an exit ramp from the road God has called you to drive on. All right? It's the idea, if I just get off on this exit, my life will be better. All right? And so you do that, and all of a sudden you realize there's no exit ramp back onto that highway. Okay? You think, I can always repent and I can always back, get back on, but no, you can't. 
because there's consequences to trying to do the Christian life our way rather than God's way. There's consequences to our sin. So given that that's what temptation is, let's look at how Satan went at Jesus. First, he went at, and he goes at us, pursuing our vulnerabilities. Verse 1, directly after his baptism, verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And so Satan comes to him and says, command these stones to become loaves of bread. 40-day fast. I know one person who has participated in a 40-day fast, a friend of mine who was launching Young Life in Ambridge, Pennsylvania, a classmate of mine at Trinity, fasted for 40 days before he began his ministry. You know, drinking nothing but water and juice every now and then, but uh, he did it. And the Lord honored his commitment, and that Young Life Beaver County is still there today. It's wonderful ministry. However, he's the only one I've ever known, <laughs> you know, and I've never done a 40-day fast, and I've done, uh, you know, intermittent fasting, you know, Ash Wednesday, Good Friday, those types of things, just to set our times and our focus upon him. But Jesus has fasted for 40 days, and obviously at this time, his greatest vulnerability was the fact that he was hungry. The text says so. So Satan goes at him at that greatest point of vulnerability, and he comes at us at our greatest point of vulnerability. When we're tired, when we take our eyes off the Lord, onto ourselves, when we listen to the world's way of parenting rather than the, the Bible's way of telling us how to parent our kids or grandparent our kids, for the way the world tells us to use our money and the way the Scripture says we're to use our money. In areas of contentment, comparing ourselves to our neighbors, to our friends, our home situations, our marital relationships, our jobs. Simple contentment. Listening to the popular opinions over the Lord. Friends, the popular opinion is no indicator of how we're to live as Christ followers. And so the enemy will come at us when we are down, when we are tired, and we take our eyes off of Jesus Christ. And we put them on ourselves. That's the first nature of temptation. It goes after our particular vulnerabilities. And they're different for each and every one of us. Secondly, notice that the tempter comes to, to Jesus in attempts for Jesus to question his identity for who he is. He says in verse 3, And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God. Verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. The tempter comes and questions Jesus about who he actually is. And today, identity is a incredibly important subject. But we're not talking about what the culture says about identity. We're talking about our identity for who we are in Jesus Christ. For the church, the only identity, the only opinion about anyone who really cares is the Lord himself, and he calls you his beloved child. As you place your trust in him and him alone, he comes to you and says, you are mine. I created you as you are with gifts and talents to be used 
for my glory means when you walk in those gifts and that ministry, which only you can do, you will find the abundant life that I've designed for you. See, identity is based on what the most important person in your life says about you. And God says you're his beloved child. We heard at the, at the beginning of our service, we do this every Lent, a penitential order where we hear the full Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. And we hear how we're to love the Lord your God with all our heart and all our soul and with all our mind and all our strength. And then we confess our sins because we don't do it, right? No, my friends, we're called to make let Jesus Christ be the more, most important person in our lives and not allow the culture to tell us who we are. Because what he says about us is what is most important in our core identity. That's the second way the tempter tempts us and tempted our Lord. Third, the tempter demands our allegiance. Notice in verse 8, and again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Think about that for one hot second. This is the king of kings and lord of lords. And so Satan is showing the king of kings and lord of lords all the kingdoms of the earth. Like Abraham Kuyper says, there is not square inch of the universe which Jesus does not say, mine. And the tempters try and get him to question that. And what does he ask for him? If you will fall down and worship me. No, Jesus had all those kingdoms. But he comes to us with the idols of our day. No matter, good things, which we make ultimate things, and we start to worship the world, the flesh, and yes, even the devil by not worshiping the Lord above all. So Satan demands our allegiance. Those are the, that's the nature, and all temptations flow from those types of temptations. So how do we defend against it? Well, first, very practically, we, we go after our enemy just like our Lord did. What did he do? You know what I'm going to say. He used the word of God. Verse 4, but Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8.3. Deuteronomy 6.16, verse 7 of the passage Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And finally, to the last temptation, then Jesus said to him, verse 10, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Deuteronomy 6.13. He just quotes the book of Deuteronomy at the guy. You know, it's amazing, right? Taking the word of God and speaking it to the enemy, speaking it to the temptation. Bible memory, ladies and gentlemen, is the most valuable thing we can do in combating temptation. And in our tradition, we're really bad at it. All right? We can change that. All right? We're working at it with our kids, and we can work at it with our adults. That we can take scriptures, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them take them like a cow, swallow it, chew it back up, chew on it again, and memorize it. 
it's the it's the cornerstone of our journey discipleship which we do and i encourage you to consider that my rector told me when i was a high school kid and that's when i started memorizing scripture i wasn't even a christian really but the holy spirit was working on me he said now we all commute into washington dc he said take a three by five card write the scripture out on the card put it on your dashboard and at every stop sign take that card out or every stoplight take the card out and memorize it by the time you get to washington you'll have it memorized now we don't all commute into cleveland you know many of us just work at home remotely now the work has dramatically changed since the late 70s i get it but not a bad idea take a scripture write it down put it on your dashboard at every stop sign memorize a clause and make that a lifelong journey it's going to take time I'm not in a rush. Are you in a rush? You know, the Lord will take me home when he takes me home. He's numbered my days. So until that time, I'm going to pace myself and keep memorizing scripture. I commend this to you. Because as Spurgeon said, Christians are called to be biblene. When you prick them, they bleed Bible. Our service bleeds Bible. That's what the Book of Common Prayer is. It's the Bible set to, pr- to scripture. We pray scripture back to God each and every Sunday. Let us use the word of God to combat temptation. The second application and the last application here is, quite frankly, taking all those realities of taking the word of God, recognizing the vulnerabilities that we have, and ultimately applying the good news to your heart. As Paul writes in Ephesians 6, and he quotes that we wrestle not with spiritual forces, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but in spiritual forces, he then goes into the very familiar armor of God. And that's simply a metaphor for all of the Christian life. Helmet of salvation that we use our minds, that the breastplate of righteousness we protect our hearts and our affections, the belt of truth that we gird ourselves up with Jesus with Jesus' identity, not with what the world tells me who I am, but who God tells me who I am. God fighting for you. That's what the shoes are about. That's what the, the, the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. All those things, there's, it's all just being dependent upon the Lord in this battle. There's nothing you can do that will make God love you anymore. There's nothing you have done that God's going to make you love, make God love you less. His acceptance of you is a sheer gift in Jesus Christ. And so that's the real application for each of us. As we apply the gospel to our lives, memorizing the word of God, have we taken that to ourselves? Are we still basing our identity on our performance before God? I think there's no greater example in all of literature of this point than Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre. Those of you who are familiar with the story know that Jane is a plain Jane. It comes from this story. She's just a plain-looking English woman who, who is taking care of some kids, and she recognizes that Mr. Rochester is a wonderful guy, and he adores her. He wants to marry her. Until she finds out that he's married already. And that she's married, he's married to a mentally ill woman. 
and he's just trying to convince her it's okay, marry me anyway. We'll just keep her in the closet. All right? And so she pauses, and he says to her, why are you silent, Jane? She says to herself, I'm, I was experiencing an ordeal. A hand of fiery iron grasped my vitals. It was a terrible moment, full of struggle, blackness, burning. Not a human being that ever lived could wish to be loved better than I was loved. And loved. And him who thus loved me, I absolutely worshipped. See, this is why she had to deal with temptation. And she came to one drear word, depart from me. Jane, you understand what I want of you. I will be yours. Mr. Rochester, I will not be yours. And he says, Jane, do you mean that you go one way in this world and I go in the other? I do. Do you mean it now as he kissed her on her forehead? She said, I do. Extricating myself from restraint rapidly and completely. This is bitter, Jane. This is wicked. It would not be wicked to love me. She looks at him and says, it would to obey you. This was true, and while he spoke, my very conscience and reason turned traitors against me and charged me with a crime in resisting him. They spoke almost as loud as feeling that clamored wildly, oh, comply. Think of his misery. Think of his danger. Look at his state when left alone. Remember his headlong nature. Consider the recklessness falling on despair. Soothe him. Save him. Love him. Tell him you love him and you will be his. Who in the world will care for you? Or who will be injured by what you did? Still indomitable was reply, I will care for myself. The more solitary, the more friendly. The more unrestrained I am, the more I will respect myself. I will keep the law given to me by God, sanctioned by man. I will hold to the principles received by me when I was sane and not mad as I am now. Laws and principles are not for the times when there is no temptation. There are no, such, these are for such moments as this, when body and soul rise in mutiny. If at my individual convenience I might break them, what would be their worth? They have a worth, so I have always believed. And if I cannot believe it now, it's because I am insane, quite insane. With my veins running fire and my heart beating faster than I can count, it throbs. Preconceived opinions, foregone determinations, are all I have at this hour to stand by. There I plant my foot. And I did. temptations your feelings are are all strong and those temptations always have a voice like jane was expressing there's a voice that always says you have to have this you can get off at the exit ramp it'll be okay oh comply think of yourself who will care for you if you don't jesus christ turns to that voice every time and he doesn't say I will be strong. He doesn't say, I'll soldier through. 
He quotes the word of God to it and argues it that way to death. The voice says, take care of yourself. Who's going to care for you? He says, I will care for myself. That's why I'm going to obey God. That's why I'm exactly going to do exactly what my heart doesn't want to do because I know I'm insane right now, she says. She would not give herself to that man. She did not take her place in society. She stood up and did something incredible because she trusted and believed in God. Because she believed in something beside her own feelings. She had self-control. And because she had something beside herself, she could resist. How are you resisting temptation? Where do you plant your truth? There I plant my foot in the truth. I took the truth and plant my foot, and I did. So if you stop right there and you say, okay, I'll do that. I'm going to combat my temptation and plant my foot and stay strong. You're missing the point. That temptation will crush you. Jesus Christ doesn't save us and doesn't give us self-control in our lives in resisting temptation merely by just resisting temptation. We have to see him resisting temptation for each and every one of us, for our sake, for his glory. See, she put her foot down on the truth. Whenever you put your foot down on the truth and trust the law of God, God will support you. But Jesus Christ put his foot down and the floor busted out underneath him. Jesus Christ knew if he obeyed God, God would not be there for him. He was the only person who ever went and obeyed God when God abandoned him as he went to the cross. Why? Because he went to the cross for us. And until we see him doing that, we're really not going to get at what's our real problem with the various temptations in our lives. When we look at the things we always run back to, are we stopping for a second and saying, look how beloved I am in Christ on the cross? Because every time I'm in a counseling session and someone says, I don't know why I did that, I go, why did you do that? It's always, I just went along with the crowd or something like that. And you see, the only reason people do that is because Jesus' opinion of them wasn't enough. Is Jesus' opinion of you good enough for you? Beloved child of God, who was secured by his love on the cross for you and for me. John Newton wrote an essay and he said, Temptations, by giving us a painful sensibility of the weakness of our graces, tend to mortify the evil principles of self-righteousness rooted in our fallen nature, which is the real cause of all foolishness and misery. Temptations make Christ and all his relations, offices, and characters more precious to us and to convince us that without him, we can do nothing. So that they may say with Samson, out of the eater comes forth meat. He's quoting Samson there in the riddle he, where Samson went and killed the lion and later on comes back and sees in the carcass of the lion a honeycomb and he has a riddle 
He says, out of the eaters, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Some of us might be struggling with certain temptations right now. And yet the failure shows us the real problem all along is whether we believed in Jesus in just a general way and not a personal way. Never fully depending upon him for every area of our lives in our battle against the world, the flesh, and yes, the devil. God truly does love you in Jesus Christ. Until you get rid of your self-righteousness and recognize that, you're going to struggle with such temptations. If you're a child of God, that is the main temptation, right? The enemy comes along and says, are you really a Christian? Really? Really a child of God? He wants you to question your identity. But as trusting in Jesus Christ... He doesn't want you to know that through Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. He doesn't want you to know that you are completely accepted. The reason we're under control of any temptation, no matter what it is, sex, money, love of family over the Lord. Good things. But the reason we struggle is we don't know how beloved we are by the Lord Jesus Christ. Only by seeing what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Will we ever be able to conquer our temptations? Some of us have failed, perhaps badly. But he welcomes us back as we come to him this Lent in repentance and faith and trust in him. Because as we look at the strong cross, out of the eater there's something to eat. Out of the strong there's something sweet. The strong cross of Jesus Christ is enough for each and every one of us. And this Lenten season, let it loom large for each and every one of us as we go on this journey to the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today as we go to your communion table, we need you to show us if because of our temptations and our failures, it now drives us to your son, Jesus, who was tempted for us. That that's in the end will give us the power that we need for self-control. And we see though we have failed or are failing or feel very weak in our temptations. Yet as we come to you and we say, ah, it's what you believe about me. It's what you see in me. It's what you've done for me. That's all that matters. And so Lord, we give ourselves to you in this way. And we know that we will have the power to deal with any temptation. So Paul reminded us there's no temptation which isn't common throughout history for each and every one of us. And we thank you, Father, that it's possible to have victory in this area of our lives. And so as we receive the bread this morning and drink from the cup, we pray that you let the temptation, the suffering, the death of Jesus Christ become so real this Lenten season for each and every one of us. That as the old hymn goes, we will turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.